I grew up as a tiny brunette teacher's pet who was only marginally interested in anything other than books, so you would think that I was the president of the Matilda fan club. Weirdly though, I wasn't. I read the book and saw the movie as a kid, but neither truly stuck with me, so I came to my recent reading of the 1980 novel by Roald Dahl with mostly fresh eyes. Like most of Dahl's work, it's a zany compilation of moody characters and dark situations turned kind of funny. When we meet Matilda Wormwood, she's a crazy smart five-year-old living in a house with zero books and three family members who actively despise her and her academic interests. She experiments with pranking them. For one, there's a moment with a parrot talking in a fireplace before she's finally released from her life at home to a life at school. And while her teacher, Miss Honey, is the perfect angel we all wanted to have teaching us in elementary school, the headmistress is pure evil. Miss Trunchbull already hates Matilda, and no matter how hard Miss Honey works to help her new students succeed at school, progress is nearly impossible as long as the headmistress is still around. We could dedicate a whole episode to detailing the many bizarre scenarios that unfold in school, but suffice it to say that there are few boundaries to Miss Trunchbull's philosophies on discipline. In one memorable scene, she forces a student to consume an entire chocolate cake. Matilda becomes so frustrated and emotional about this that she realizes then and there she has the powers of telekinesis, a fancy word for being able to move stuff with her mind. She spills a glass of water from across the room and all hell breaks loose. There is a happy ending though. Our heroines, Matilda and Miss Honey, get what they deserve. Miss Trunchbull is gone. And Matilda's awful family is chased out of town because Mr. Wormwood's shady business dealings are finally exposed. Yes, a lot goes on in this book. But at its core, it's the story of a resourceful, resilient little girl who is positively obsessed with books, just like so many of us. The experience of coming back to Matilda was a mixed one for me, and I was lucky enough to have a fellow bookworm and Matilda sympathizer along for the ride. Alexandra Fishwick, better known as Alex, is the assistant director of a childcare facility in upstate New York by day and a writer blogger by night. Follow her journey on the Authentically Alex blog and on Instagram at Alexandra underscore fish. It's time to make some hot chocolate. Matilda's beverage of choice, of course, because we're going to the show. Enjoy episode three. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So you chose Matilda. I did. And let's just start there. Why did you choose Matilda? Do you have memories of reading this book when you were a kid? And what appealed to you about getting back into it or reading it for the first time if it's new? So I don't recall reading it as a kid, actually, but I obviously was a big movie watcher of them, the movie version. Okay. I'm big into comparing movies and books. So I was like, you know what? I've seen the movie. I know the movie by heart. I kind of want to go back to the book and see how I feel and like kind of what happens. So that was my main reason. I did not have a huge attachment to either the book or the movie. And it's funny because when I was like telling people that I was preparing for a Matilda episode, everybody freaked out. Like people are crazy about this book and especially (laughs) the movie. And I feel like I totally missed it. Yeah, you must have because it was like a big thing. Like even my husband will sit and watch it. Like I'll catch him watching it. Like it's like that big. (laughs) Like I maybe saw it once which I feel like all the every other kid that I know in hindsight was like oh yeah that was my favorite movie so 
this yeah. was sort of a new experience for me. Huh. What was your kind of first impression upon getting back into it? And an important piece of context, which I'm sure I mentioned already in the intro, is that Alex is a teacher mm-hmm. and works with children every day. So I'm especially interested in hearing what <laughs> you have to say about this. I would be interested in what you have to say about any kid's book, but this is such like a school and teacher oriented book. So I yes. have a lot of questions for you. Um, uh, yeah. What was your first yeah. impression? How'd you feel? The first chapter really resonated because like now I'm actually I'm a director. So like I oversee the building and I just feel like I see so much of the parent side now than I did before um, when I was a teacher reading it. I was I was getting angry. I was getting like none of this stuff that would happen in this book would happen now. For yeah. Obvious reasons. Yeah. A lot of stuff I was able to like kind of pull from my experience. So it was interesting. And for background, for those who haven't read Matilda in the last two weeks, like you and I have, I'd say the (laughs) sort of summary of it is that they're referring to Matilda's parents as the rare case of people that totally underestimate their child instead of Mm -hmm. overestimate their child. Um, Which I feel like nowadays, it's the opposite. (laughs) I don't mean that negatively, but people are always like, like there's a line that they say, the parents become so blinded by adoration, they manage to convince themselves their child has qualities of genius. Obviously, Matilda's parents were not like that, but a lot of my parents are like that. (laughs) People think their kids do no wrong these days, which I totally understand, but it's kind of causing an epidemic, which is not good. Yeah. Well, and I think the hard thing about reading any of these books is that obviously, like this book was written in 1988 by Roald Dahl, and any book that I'm reading from a few decades ago, we kind of have to take as a product of its time. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, we do have to think about like, okay, in 1988 was the culture, what kind of parenting was going on. But I think that the sort of like generalization of there aren't as many parents that think their children are idiots as think their children right. are smarter than right. they are. Like that has to be right. a universal truth. Oh, yeah, I agree. So you said you had a lot of things. I can see you have some notes written down. Like, I do. Let's jump in. Where do you um, want to start? What bothered you? What did you like? What are you thinking? Okay, well, I didn't fully answer your question about like my initial reaction. Yeah. I thought it was like kind of mature for a children's book, like the kind of like the lessons in it. I was like shocked, not being like insulting, but there's a lot of adults that I feel like don't, don't know those lessons. So to think that it's like a children's book is really intriguing to me. I feel like some people need to go back and read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, it was also very funny. I thought like I thought it was very witty for a children's book. There's a lot in it that just you can compare to 2018. I literally like underlined so much that I just wrote like 2018 because it's like so different than 30 years ago, which also can't believe it's already been 30 years since 1988. But anyway, that's crazy. (laughs) That means I'm almost 30, which is a whole it's a conversation for another day. Yeah, I do think there's more extremes in parenting now, as far as just either they're too far gone or they're not gone enough. Like as far as the way people are parenting. And um, yeah, I just compared a lot to the way Matilda's parents were doing it, I guess, when I was reading it. And then obviously Miss Trunchbull, just nothing like that happens now. No, there's no chokey. There's no abuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, just it's terrible. It's dark. And I think to your point about this being really heavy for a kid's book, I kept finding myself writing, like, where is the line? When does it stop being okay to talk about issues of abuse and to kind of make jokes about it? Because there were parts of the book where, I mean, it's definitely darkly funny, which is a very rolled mm-hmm. doll style to kind mm-hmm. of like laugh at things that could potentially be upsetting and to tease. And that's like part of his style. But he definitely went pretty dark here. And I kept finding myself thinking, like, 
where is the line? And and I think this book is interesting, too, because it's about a five and a half year old, but mm-hmm. it's clearly written for kids who are a little bit older. So I think that right. muddies the waters even further as far as like, who is this OK for? Right. Because yeah. you're opening up things to kids that honestly, now they're getting it with video games and movies. Like you said, there's there's a line that's getting crossed and they weren't crossing it 30 years ago in movies and, and other things. So it's just interesting. Now it's very different. But <clears throat> I don't know. Where is the line? <laughs> it's hard. And I, I read a note somewhere in my research about this book where the original version was actually even darker, if you can believe it. Oh. He rewrote the second half. So I guess Roald Dahl had this longtime editor who he'd been working with for years and years. And he sent the draft of Matilda to this editor and the editor sent it back and said, you have to start it over because wow. I don't like it. And he'd already written all these amazing books, obviously. Yeah. And the article that I read hinted at the fact that in the second half of the first draft, Matilda, it's, it said the heroine. So I guess we could be talking about Matilda or Miss Honey because I see right. the book as having two heroines, which I think we can talk it's about okay. too. But the article said that in the original draft, the heroine dies in like a horse gambling accident or something. <laughs> So it must have been like very dark and (laughs) in a different way than it ended up being. But he had to go back to the drawing board and he actually ended up taking it to a new editor after that, Hmm. which I thought was kind of an interesting fact. I can kind of see, I kind of see that because they actually wrote a note about how like, I wish I knew more about like Miss Honey's dad. Like I wish I knew more about his relationship with Miss Trunchbull and like, just like that whole thing. Like I think there was way more he could have went with that. So it's interesting. I wonder if he like, I mean, there was no horse gambling or anything, but I wonder if he like did go that far and that was taken out because I was very curious about that release, those relationships when I read the end and stuff. So I was also curious and, and I, maybe I'm crazy and maybe I'm, (laughs) I don't know. You'll have to tell me what you think about this, but there was a part of me that kept hoping to learn more about maybe there being a nicer side to Miss Trunchbull. Mm. And I think it's because I didn't remember the ending, which I guess speaks to the fact that this book really didn't stick with me at all. Yeah. (laughs) I kept thinking that we were going to find out a story about Miss Trunchbull, who's this horrible, evil headmistress who I hate. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept thinking until probably about like three quarters of the the way through the book, like, oh, we're going to find out something that's going to explain, that's going to sort of redeem her. Right. Because I do think in most kids' books, like, there's, like, a redemptive quality to the villain. Like, you find out that something really bad happened to them, and we didn't get that right. at all. And I don't know if I like that or not. Like, I do think for kids, and I'd love your thoughts on this. Yeah. Being somebody who works with kids day in and day yeah. out, is it hurting kids if a villain is so flat and doesn't have this more complicated backstory explaining, right. like, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would think as a parent someday when I have kids that, like, I would want kids to understand that there's always like more to the story. Yeah, which there is like kind of like character development. I could totally see that. On the other hand, though, how we were talking about like it's different now. I think I know I keep harping on this, but like kids are so protected now. Like everyone's so scared. Like I said, Miss Trunchbull wouldn't like she wouldn't exist in this day and age because teachers are so scared to reprimand. They're so scared to do anything because there's just so much going on in the world. I wonder if that's kind of why things have translated into like the evil character kind of gets redeemed. And I'm wondering if, you know, back then maybe that's not how it was or there was a a reason he did it that way. Because, I mean, how, like you said, there's a line, but like when do you start pushing the boundary? Like at what age do you start telling them like, you know, this is this is life. This is how it is. Like not everyone is good. Not everyone has redeeming qualities. Yes, people are complicated, but, you know, there is good and bad. So Mm -hmm. I guess like where do you draw the line on that, too? Yeah. 
So, yeah. I think that the more I read about Roald Dahl was that he really kind of took a lot of pride in, like, showing kids the world as it is, which Mm. makes sense with what you're saying. Yeah. There's an article in Slate in 2013 for Matilda's 25th anniversary that was just amazing, and I wrote down all these great quotes from it. This is a really good one. Though it cost him friendships, his publisher, and his death, Dahl took Matilda from a story where the protagonist is an evil cheater, which is the original version where she was, like, killed in a horse gambling situation, to a novel that proved he could, for one last time, make kids laugh, make them feel powerful, and play to their basest sense of humor while challenging their highest appreciation for absurdity. In these days where irony is king and thus identifying as a geek is tongue-in-cheek celebrated, it's easy to not recognize what Dahl did earlier than anyone else. With Matilda, he made being a nerd cool before being a nerd was cool. So there's, like, a lot in that quote. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I think, first of all, it notes that he's like, this is the world. I want you to be able to laugh at kind of the darkness of the world. Mm -hmm. And and then there's this whole kind of, like, hipster nerd vibe, which I think he kind of did that, too. Like, she's cool because she's a little bit of a nerd. Yeah, and she's, like, so confident. That's something else I wrote, like... She's confident in who she is as a five-year-old, 20-year-old struggle with things like that. So just to see that, too, and have him develop something like that is good for kids, I think. Yeah. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the family dynamics because we touched on her parents so far in Mm -hmm. terms of your first impression. But I have some questions. Yeah. So there's a brother, apparently. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently. We don't know a lot about him except that he's, like, vastly preferred in the family. And did I did I miss anything about the brother or do you did you feel like he was as absent as I did? He was definitely absent. I feel like he was just put there as contrast to show like they love him and they don't like her. Like it's like basic like contrast. He wasn't anything special. Yeah. Well, none <laughs> of them were. For me, what was really interesting and again, like coming at this from a 2018 perspective, there was so much about gender politics in this book. I I know the, the mom's belief in like how the woman should just be there for the man. I was like so angry. I was like, okay, <laughs> so angry. Not and like, okay. there were so many things about gender politics in this book, and it totally started in the relationship between the parents. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the mom is basically just there to serve her husband, and she's so nasty to Miss Honey, who's this young woman who's working yeah, and and kind of doing and, yeah. her own thing, like being a normal twenty year old, at least by our standards. And she just puts her down. She basically tells her, like, I married and and married somebody with money and look at me now in my chair watching TV and you're working. And where does that put you? Yeah, like she was so down on her, like looked down on her. Yeah, there's a lot of um, judgment in terms of that. But I think generally, like, the gender politics are really interesting, especially because Roald Dahl wasn't known for writing books about girls. Like, this was really his first girl book. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, so it kind of, like, made me that much more upset because I was like, you're writing this book about a little girl, and I, I get that it was all part of, you know, maybe there's some lessons there that he wanted to teach, but I kind of wish he cooled it off a little and bit. It, yeah. Just because yeah. it was really glaring, the anti-woman rhetoric kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And how she was, like, trying to project it onto Matilda, too, like, no, you don't need to be smart. You just need to grow up and marry rich. <laughs> like, right. that was frustrating, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So yeah. It's so easy to Great. do that. Yeah. Um, I also, this made me so angry. Maybe I'm over, maybe I'm reading into it. Tell me, please. I felt like there was a lot in this book about people not believing you when you tell the truth. So I have some quotes that I pulled out because I think it's particularly relevant today. Mm-hmm. So Matilda at one point is thinking about 
the situation that happened in the classroom where she is using telekinesis for the first time. She's making things move with her eyes. And she says, neither her mother or her father would be of any use at all if they believed her story and it was doubtful that they would. They'd almost certainly fail to realize what an astounding event it was that had taken place that afternoon. So that happens. Matilda's friend Lavender at one point says that she's going to tell her dad about Miss Trunchbull and Matilda is just like, oh, nobody's going to believe you. And I think that, again, in today's day and age, um, (laughs) that's like really problematic because so much of the conversation right now about the Me Too movement is that little girls and kids in general, but I think Mm -hmm. in this situation, little girls are kind of brought up to believe people might not always believe you if you Mm -hmm. tell people who are in charge what's going on. I, uh, no, I agree. I wasn't as angry as you. I feel like you were angry a lot (laughs) reading this book. I was angry. I was just Um, sad. Yeah, I think I I, I saw that. I just didn't, I guess I didn't see that as much. It's sad that it's only women. Like, that's what, like, that's what I keep thinking is it's only little girls. And like, that's, that's what you just said. It's like, it's just them. It's not men. They kind of connects, like I wrote down the idea that people think you're ignorant or below them. I guess it kind of connects. That's something that resonates with me and makes me angry is when people, and it kind of connects not believing people. Like you think they're below you. So you're just like, no, people won't believe you. Like they just, it's just like you're a fly on the wall. They kind of like push you away. Those are the worst kind of people in my opinion. <laughs> it's, no, just, and, yeah. it's just judgment. And I don't, I don't like that. And I think as a kid too, everybody is familiar with that feeling of being like, I'm powerless. I have Mm -hmm. things to say and nobody's listening. And that's hard. It's hard, I think, as an adult sometimes to read kid perspectives and and be taken back to that place and remember what it was like to feel like that. Something else that I thought was interesting, and I would love to hear your educator perspective on it, is the idea of nature versus nurture in this book. Because (laughs) Matilda is such like an alien in her family and she has such different Mm -hmm. values. Mm -hmm. And like how? How does that happen when you're growing up in that household? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that in kids or have you seen that in students you've taught who who are they just seem so out of place in their family? Or is this this is a gross exaggeration? I think it's an exaggeration. Like I'm trying to think of like just kids that I have now, um, like in my building and like everyone's almost nurture. I feel like like you can just see so many qualities of their parents in them, even at age three or age five. I can't think of anyone else of my head that I know, even as a teacher with my kids, my students. I don't know if I really had any of the the other side of it. I think it is a little exaggeration. Again, that's probably for the story. I think it's out there, obviously. There's always someone that instills those values in you. I don't know who it was for her, but like in my opinion, there's always someone in your family that like starts that for you. It's just like a matter of who you kind of take to when you're younger. What was your favorite part about reading this book as an adult? Oh, my favorite part. Yeah, I had, a, I had a hard time choosing my favorite. So I think I wrote like five. <laughs> I liked the mature lessons. I think I already touched on that. But like, I loved that something that he thought was like important for kids at this age when again, in the same age, it's not like that. I'm obsessed with Miss Honey. <laughs> That's another one. I love She's her. my favorite. I resonate with her. I like connect to her a lot. I wrote how different the norms were then to now. Like, I just loved comparing, and because I'm in the field, like, it was just nice to to see that, so. I loved Miss Honey, and I don't know if you were a teacher's pet like me when you were a kid, but <laughs> I, I remember reading this book as a kid and being like, it would be so cool to, like, get to go hang out with my teacher outside of At school. At her house, yeah. And to, like, go to her house. That would be so glamorous, and we would just, like, <laughs> hang out and do crafts and... 
that was I had this very romantic idea and I think part of it is because Matilda has this romantic idea but that for me was the like nostalgic thing is like that teacher relationship everybody has mm-hmm. that one teacher when they're young I think especially as like a young girl who loved to read meeting that first female teacher who wanted to show me books that was a right. huge deal for me so I that was one of my favorite parts oh, yeah no I could see how you could connect to that I didn't have a female teacher that I like really resonated with but I definitely was a teacher's pet many years, so I could understand that because we just loved books and we liked to learn. That's why. Yeah, we <laughs> like did Matilda, like Matilda, and we soaked it up probably like Matilda. So. Yeah. <laughs> I found some other. I think it was that Slate article where she's talking about. Oh, this is a good quote. So she said, "In Matilda's craftiness and magical talents, I and countless other indoor kids." and I was definitely an indoor kid, found the promise that someday my reading, my easy friendships with adults, and my natural inclination towards solitude would all pay off. Huh. Which I think captures it really well, too. Because I re- like yeah. connected to all of those things. I was always hanging out with adults, and I liked being around adults sometimes better than kids. I liked to be alone, and I was always with books. I sort of wish that I had read this book maybe a little bit more closely as a kid because I think I would have connected to it. Like, it, loved it, yeah. It's strange to me that I didn't connect with it. I know that is weird to me too that you didn't <laughs> it's kind of surprising and it's and I'm sad because reading it as an adult you do latch on to different kinds of things and so lacking the nostalgic attachment to it as a kid like mm-hmm. it was sort of hard to get into the like more positive parts which you know is probably not a great attitude no I could see that because I had a hard time in that similar way because I kept thinking about the movie like when I would picture stuff and I'm like okay if I didn't see the movie I would be picturing this so differently and I might have different thoughts but I just kept comparing it so I had a hard time connecting in that sense too but I get the the quote the solitude thing I was an only child so I was always with adults like I was never I didn't have other siblings to even do kid stuff with so I was always I could resonate with that too I was doing those similar things is it similar to the movie like I said I don't really have any any frame of reference yes and no there's like a couple characters missing or like changed I would say um like the whole parrot chapter is just not doesn't exist there's no parrot in the movie oh, okay. i'm a little upset about i like like that chapter so i was like yeah is that in the movie where like, she hides yeah. the parrot in like the fireplace to trick yep. her dad yeah and she like, goes to her friend's house to go get the parrot like that friend doesn't exist there's no parrot it's very similar the end the ending is a lot more like uh, for lack of a better word like revved up because they like really harp on like the adoption side of it and the how much like her and Miss Honey like really love each other. And I feel like in the book, the ending wasn't, I guess it was about love, but it wasn't as like outspoken as the movie. The movie, like it was totally obvious, which again, you're getting the visual. So maybe that's why, but. The thing that really struck me about the ending of the book is that almost more than any book that I've ever read, it felt like everybody got what they deserve. It was wrapped up in a really neat package. Matilda got to go live with Miss Honey. Miss Honey got her house back. Miss Trunchbull disappeared Disappeared. where she went. (laughs) The Wormwoods got chased out of town. Matilda also got to go up to a higher grade and like learn at her Mm -hmm. level. It just felt like everything, it was so like neat and tidy and everybody got what they should have. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think of it that way. I agree with that. I wish Mr. Wormwood got like arrested or a little more of like a worse fate, but (laughs) I guess getting chased out is fair too, but yeah, um, I feel like he deserved a little more, but. I agree with you. He and I I think given the fact that like this book does teach so many hard lessons, like there's no reason that he shouldn't have gotten a little bit more punishment. Like yeah. it wouldn't have been yeah. out of place in in Right. Right. Like, all been. these harsh things and then you just kind of like neatly tie up the end with nothing harsh at all. Yeah. <laughs> kind of exactly. out of character. Exactly. Yeah. 
we've talked a little bit about lessons and like you mentioned in the beginning that you feel like there are a lot of lessons in the book that are kind of on the mature side. So that being said, I'm curious if there were any lessons in particular that you think like you totally missed as a kid. How much of this is above a kid's head and how much of it do you think kids can actually take away at their age? Like is, is a lot of this kind of moral content wasted on a younger reader? Well, that's a good question. I think the concept of Miss Honey being poor, and again, I'm going to go back to this lesson or this thing we're talking about, but in this day and age, I think it's more extreme. So most of the time kids are getting what they want when they want it. So there's no really concept of that. I feel like, you know, at least the kids that I haven't, again, there's all classes, but I'm saying like a lot of the middle-class kids that could maybe understand aren't because when they're hungry, they get fast food when they're bored they get their mom's ipad like they're just like already like ready to go like there's no concept of being like go outside or like there's no tv you need to find something to like keep your time like there was for us i just think that was something that i don't think i would have gotten as a kid i thought that in general there was a lot of sort of class stuff in here so like miss honey was poor the wormwoods were rich right miss trunchbull got rich by fucking over miss honey so yeah it was very obvious that there was a lot of class stuff going on, which honestly, the more of these kids books I'm rereading for the show, the more I'm realizing like that's everywhere. Kids are reading from an early age about the rich and the poor and, and what that's supposed to mean and, and what kinds of values. I think at least in this book, Miss Honey, her resourcefulness, for lack of a better word, is definitely like part of what makes her so moral and so special. So her I hate to say this, but like her poverty, at least for a short period of the book, is part of what makes her so endearing. But then, of course, she gets rich again at the end. Right. But I'm sure she doesn't take advantage of it. (laughs) At least we can guess. Right. She's a perfect Um, angel. Yeah. (laughs) I also thought Matilda continued to learn and grow despite all the negativity surrounding her learning and growing, like how negative Miss Trunchbull was, how negative her parents were about it. Like, why are you reading? And all the, the extremes they took with the books, like ripping the books up and stuff like as a kid reading it, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it would maybe not extremely affect my confidence, but I'd be like, wow, how is this girl like still like if those things happen to me, I don't think I could really like keep going and like trust in myself. Like in the fact that a five-year-old has that kind of confidence, that was something else too. I thought was kind of mature on a different end. I had a similar reaction where I was thinking about some of these scenes where Matilda and her classmates are yelled at so much when they get things wrong or when they don't know things. Mm-hmm. And my thought was, I hope that this is a book that kids are reading after they've started to go to school because I think that if you're a kid that's never been to school, there are parts of this book that could be a little scary. Like, is this yeah. how is this how it's going to be? Am I going to have to know everything? Obviously, there's not going to be a Miss Trunchbull at your school, but <laughs> do I have to, like, have all the answers right away? Um, and I don't... This wasn't a book that I was assigned for school. Like, this, I think, was a book that I, like, picked up at the bookstore and read in the summertime. But I do wonder if it's assigned in school at all. I didn't find anything online about that. But it would seem to me that a lot of schools, like, might be nervous to assign it to at least yeah. to really young kids. Because right. some of those scenes were scary. Oh, yeah. No, you're right with the yelling. And, yeah, you're scared to be wrong. There's pressure. And then when you're a kid and you have that kind of pressure, it kind of turns you off to learning altogether. So you're right. If it's too young, it's not good. (laughs) Right. And not even to mention like her throwing kids by their ponytails and force feeding them chocolate cake, which I do. (laughs) I do remember that from the movie because how could you forget? Oh yeah. It's traumatizing the movie, the movie scene. Cause you're like, I can't look away, but it's really gross. What's happening. 
Yeah. Well, and I haven't seen I haven't seen the musical, but I feel like there's whenever I see ads for the musical, chocolate cake figures into it in a big way, and I couldn't remember why until I reread the book, and I was like, oh, that scene, it's so gross. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wonder how they do that in the musical. I know. Now I kind of want to go see it. It's yeah. supposed to be really good. I didn't even realize. I mean, I guess I knew there was one because it's like so popular, but I didn't even ever think to go. Yeah, maybe now, maybe now you and I should like be on the lookout for cheap tickets. Yeah, that'd be so fun. Yeah, I want to talk about Lavender, who is Matilda's friend. Um, okay, I know we're kind of out of sequence, but I love Lavender, and so <laughs> I feel like I want to give Lavender a shout out. And I feel <laughs> like Matilda and Lavender are kind of like the OG girl squad. They're like friend goals. They're so yeah. cute. They like like each other because they're brave and smart. I wrote down a quote where um, it says Matilda liked her because she was gutsy and adventurous. She liked Matilda for exactly the same reasons. Yeah. At one point, Lavender says, "We may be small, but we're quite tough." And I was like, "I love you guys. <laughs> you guys are so fun." Yeah. Um, Lavender like wants to stand up for Matilda. She wants to do something heroic because she sees Matilda as this badass little five year old. I just love Lavender, and I, I like really wanted to give her a shout-out because she was, one of, my fa- she was she, one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah, and she was so ballsy with the lizard in the glass. I never would have done that as a kid. <laughs> no. I was upset at one point because she, like, doesn't stand up for Matilda in one situation when I think Matilda gets in trouble for dumping the water glass, and, and Lavender oh, knows she didn't mm-hmm. do it. So I was mm-hmm. upset about that, but I thought that that was a reasonable plot line of, like, not even a, an awesome little girl like Lavender is going to be able to get it right all the time. But she, for me, was a major highlight. Loved her. Yeah, I agree. If, if you watch the movie, you'll like love her even more. The actress that plays her is just like so gentle. And she doesn't have a lot of lines. Obviously, she's not like the, a huge character. But in the movie, she's just anything she does do. You're like, oh, I just love you. It's just exactly what you said. Like, it's just super cute. So they're like soulmates. I love them. I love them so yeah. much. <laughs> There were so many characters not to like at the school and so many kids that were just grumpy or just didn't have personalities. And so Lavender was like a bright ray of light in all of it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Speaking of all of the terrible things happening at school, the the chokey. Ugh, chokey. So I have a question. Since you're a fan of the movie. Yeah. Did the chokey figure more heavily into the movie? Because I weirdly remember more of the chokey and I kept waiting in the book for there to be another scene about it so mm-hmm. for listeners who don't remember the chokey or aren't familiar it's basically this really terrifying narrow cupboard that Miss Trunchbull keeps in her office and the idea is if you get in big trouble you go stand in the chokey it has cement walls it's covered in broken glass and you can't lean against any of the walls it's just it's terrible and the <laughs> fact that the kids are so terrible the fact that this is happening, period, is upsetting. <laughs> the fact that the kids know about it, like, it's just wrong on so many levels. But I remember, I feel like it was a bigger part of the movie, and so I kept waiting for, like, Matilda to have to go to the chokey. And I'm happy it wasn't highlighted in the book, but I kind of was waiting for it to be highlighted more than it was. She didn't go to the chokey in the book? I don't... Because in the movie, she went, like, two times, I think, at least. That's what I remember from the movie. Yeah, I just remember being thing. scared of the chokey in the movie, and mm-hmm. it really, like, they mentioned it in the book, but it it wasn't a huge plot point. It was more just, like, as the reader, you were aware that Miss Trunchbull is that mean that this right. thing exists. Yeah, no, it was definitely, like you said, it was bigger in the movie. Um, in the movie, it was, like, nails. And I remember in the movie, they did, like, the pr- perspective of, like, being a kid in it, and she, like, slammed the door, and there was just, like, nails at the camera. It was very disturbing. 
That's so disturbing. <laughs> everything about everything about the school, everything about the parenting. It's like so many lawsuits waiting to happen. I, well, like also I was thinking with Miss Trunchbull, like if you're so miserable with your little twerps that you don't like, why don't you just do something else? Right. I don't understand. <laughs> like right. that's what I kept thinking when she would go off on her rant. Just leave. I don't understand right. why you're there. Well, I think Money, that's what I, I was that's like what I was looking for with the humanity piece. I understand that for the purposes of the story, like she had to hate kids and like that. Yeah. The story wouldn't have worked if she liked kids. But I was right. waiting for there to be some backstory about why she was there and maybe there being something that had happened in her childhood or maybe she had had a great teacher that inspired her. And I just was waiting for there to be some piece of information that like redeemed her and made it make like a little bit of sense that she was yeah. working in a school because it made absolutely no sense. Right, right. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And why do you have a chokey with nails coming out of it? I don't know. It's just disturbing. <laughs> Very disturbing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, that was terrible. And uh, just her whole interaction with the parents, like she kept siding with Matilda's dad, even when Matilda's dad screwed her over with her yeah. other car. Yeah. And then um, took it out on Matilda when she realized it. This is your fault. <laughs> everything's little Matilda's fault. And I, I think you mentioned this a few times and uh, just the way that I would like sort of summarize it for me was what really impressed me is like Matilda has such a resilient spirit about her and I don't know that I would have appreciated that as a kid because I think as a kid sometimes you're so used to stories movies books everything where kids are just like meeting the obstacle and getting over it meeting the obstacle getting over it and Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool to see this story kind of taking a step back as an adult where this like little five-year-old just kind of like keeps on going she doesn't complain Mm -hmm. I mean, she does some pranks and stuff on her parents, but generally she's just like kind of going with it. Mm-hmm. Very, it's a very unique, unique perspective. Like you said, it's usually like there has to be an obstacle to face, and it's just her daily life, unfortunately, with her terrible parents. But yeah, she's very resilient. And like I said, the confidence that I kept seeing, I was like, I, that was what blew, blew me away was the confidence that she had in hearing all this negative thing, these negative things, and it was just it like almost like it didn't affect her. I guess like you said, it did a little bit because she would do kind of things to get back at them and. Like the hat and the hair thing and the glue that just cracks me up still. But um, <laughs> yeah, she was confident and like you said, resilient. It's admirable. Yeah, she doesn't let a lot of like. There's a lot of name calling in this book. She doesn't let any of that getting get her down. I did make note of that. There were so many, so much name calling. And the other thing that I wrote down, just kind of in terms of like the things that were constantly trying to break Matilda's spirit, there was a lot of shut up in this book. Oh, and <laughs> I was not allowed to say shut up. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> and I didn't know any kids that were allowed to say shut up. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny, too. Yeah. And I feel like when I was a kid and someone said that, I was like, oh, like yeah, I was, I was like, so <gasps> offended. Right. I'd be like, I'm going to call shut up. Mom. Yeah. And I, I feel like even to this day, I don't really say it to people because it's just so harsh. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I definitely I only say it in like the annoying way where I'm like, shut up when somebody yeah. says something <laughs> that I can't believe. But I don't right. ever tell somebody like, be quiet, shut up. And that struck me in this book just because, again, like, to me, that's sort of a hard and fast rule among kids. We're like, you're not supposed to call names and you're not supposed to say shut up. But I think that speaks to Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl could get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, if he wrote this this year, he wouldn't, that wouldn't get published, I don't think. I don't think it would be a thing. Oh, this book would be. He tried this. No, there's way too many things that are wrong with this book. People wouldn't know where to place this book. Like, again, I think the fact that she's five years old, no editor would believe that like a nine or 10 year old would pick up this book and care about essentially a toddler. Right. And there's so many like messed up things with the school and the parents. In 2012, it was ranked number 30 
among all-time children's novels in a survey published by the School and Library Journal. Wow. Pretty high. Pretty all-time, yeah. That is high. And and Roald Dahl had four, and this was the first. So this was, like, of Roald Dahl's four books included on that list, Matilda was the highest ranked. I'm a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory girl, if I'm being honest. But rereading this as an adult, I definitely see the value in it. I guess I'm just surprised that I didn't read it more closely as a kid. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I like you said, there's so much value in it, but like <clears throat> 2012 wasn't that long ago. Mm-mm. So for them to still think it like had importance is interesting to me, just because it's again so different. Would you give this to kids now? No. No. Okay. Tell me more. Hard and fast. No. I think it would teach them bad things. Kids are so ready to do bad things. Like I keep thinking of my pre-K class that I have in my building, and they like regularly kick each other, regularly bite each other. Which like they're like the most grown out of anyone in my building. They should be ready to like act like they're ready for kindergarten. I mean they're still little, but it just opens up this like idea of like oh well this kid's saying shut up. Why can't I say shut up? Like he's making me mad. I'm gonna tell him to shut up. And it, it seems like it would bring more negative. Because you said a lot of stuff's going to go over their head. So yeah. it depends on the age, I guess. Maybe teenagers. Teenagers that know, like, the right from the wrong could probably take more from it, I think. Yeah. I was going to say, I think maybe to older kids that already have some sort of, like, a moral foundation and can understand there are parts of this that are to be laughed at. And um, there are parts of it that are supposed to be so over the top that we're not actually supposed to think that these are okay things to do and, and okay ways to right. behave. Like, I think as a parent, if you're going to do, like, a one-on-one with your child and, like, they're old enough to learn the lessons... And you're going to explain those lessons like you need to explain those things. You don't just give it to them and let them read it because they're going to take things differently if they're not at that right age. So, hmm. yeah, I think that, yeah. I think this would require a lot of like coaching. I mean, I'm not a teacher or a parent, but I would imagine right. that this is the kind of book where if you're going to give it to a kid, especially on the younger end of things, you would probably want to preface it with some thoughts about don't take everything in this too seriously and understand that like there's good lessons here but you kind of have to like read between all of the meanness I think that for me was the big thing was it was sort of a mean book Mm -hmm. and I think that's okay like I do think to some extent it's important for kids to like get exposure to the fact that like there's bad things in the world and this is unique in that very rarely I think are kids exposed to any shade of like domestic abuse or emotional abuse and so I do think it's important that books like this exist but I think it's really crucial that if you're going to give a kid this book like they need to understand that the the relationship that happens in Matilda's house like that's not normal that's a thing and it's called emotional abuse and parental neglect and (laughs) you need to know that that's a thing it's not just like Mm -hmm. a plot point so I, I think just being able to explain those key points would be important if you were going to give this to a younger kid in particular. Right. Yeah, exactly. Would you (laughs) recommend this to somebody who is your age and say like, this is a great reread. You're going to enjoy it on the second time around. Or would you be like, just leave it. (coughs) Someone my age. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people would be like, okay. Like a lot of people would be like, yeah, okay, Alex. Like, I don't know if they really would because it is a children's book, but yeah, I took so much from it as an adult. Just again, the confidence thing being angry or hurt over people thinking you're ignorant. Like that's something I still get mad at. Um, when people don't believe me or look down on me, like, and to see a five-year-old handle it so well, like, yeah, I think I would. It just depends on the the person, I guess, but for sure. Did this experience ruin this book for you or did it make you love it even more? Uh, no, it definitely made me love it more because it was like, it reminded me of, of so much and um, brought me back to my, like you said, my childhood. It was very nostalgic and now I want to go watch the movie like a million times. I did feel like I needed to go back and watch the movie and <laughs> experience that, but I didn't want to get confused. 
So I think right. I might, maybe I'll watch it this weekend because I am yeah. curious now as to how it translated. When I was little, I looked a lot like Mara Wilson, the girl who played Matilda. Oh. And I so I was just like a big fan of hers as a kid because everybody would tell me that I reminded them of her. You look she, like her, yeah. Because I looked like her. So, um, but I was, I really liked her in Miracle on 34th Street. So that was my Mara Wilson. I loved her in that oh, Christmas yeah. movie. Um, but I, I do feel like Matilda was kind of her like big role. Yeah, I've actually read stuff and I've written articles about how like she's one of the ones that just kind of like stopped acting. That was like her big thing. And she did a little bit here and there when she grew up and that was the end of it yeah she's gotten pretty yeah. political hasn't she like in Very. recent years she's really outspoken mm-hmm. I think she lives here in Brooklyn and is like super liberal and just yeah I've heard that too and read that and really yeah. hates being associated with being a child star I guess yeah. I don't well blame her. I mean that's how big the movie was like that's how everyone knows her yeah it's how a- you have all this money that you're rolling in <laughs> yeah now you can go be a political activist right. and not worry about anything yeah. else Right. <laughs> so we, I feel like we've really delved into Matilda and um, talked the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm so glad we were able to do that. I would love if you could share, is there anything that you're reading right now or have read recently that's not necessarily a kid's book that you would want to share with our listeners? Because I'm trying to help everybody build a great reading list. I have a feeling that you as a reader have some suggestions. You had asked one question about like what my favorite book was of all time. And I yeah. was like... I really had a hard time with that. I have a hard time just choosing things. As you can see, I can't choose like one thing, one favorite thing at any time ever. But one book came to mind and that was The Glass Castle, which just got made into a movie. Uh, Um, You can't see me right now, but I'm literally have my head thrown back and I'm like, I love that book and I love that movie. And I'm being very dramatic. And now I'm going to let Alex talk about it because it's her recommendation, but I love it and I'm fully endorsing it. No, you can talk about it too, because that's what's so funny is like, that's the first book that came to my mind when I read your question. And then I was like, oh my God, why is this my favorite book? Like I read it so long ago, but all I remembered from it was how emotional it made me feel and how much I like... I just connected so much to it. And that's what was incredible to me. It's like, I couldn't even remember what it was about, but I just remember like the feelings that I felt when I read it. Um, and I remember passing it to like everyone I knew. I was like, okay, mom, you're going to read it. And then when my mom was done, I was like, okay, like my boyfriend's mom's going to read it. Like I was just so enthralled in the whole thing. I haven't actually seen the movie yet. I have to go watch it, but I would tell everyone to add that to their list. Clearly we both agree on that. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to make sure I include a link to that book in the show notes because Everybody needs to get it. I, I think the movie was also really good, which is rare. I usually am not a huge fan of movie adaptations, but I think they did a nice job with it. I also think I was, like, really, like, emotionally primed to love it. Like, I think I was committed to liking it. And I think even if it had been terrible, I probably would have yeah. been like, that was the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I also have one I read maybe, like, six months ago called Dead Letters. And it's about these twin girls. And one of them goes missing. The whole town thinks she's dead, pretty much. And she starts, the twin starts getting letters from her, even though they think she's dead. It's very suspenseful. And the end, you're like totally expecting one thing. And then the end, you're like almost like, oh, I feel like I should have expected that. But it's just a very good suspenseful, like good, like beachery yeah. suspense mm-hmm. kind of book. I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well mm-hmm. so that everybody can get a copy for themselves. Um, oh. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I really thank appreciate you. your time. It was so fun talking all things Matilda with you. Yeah, thank you. I feel like we could have went for hours. It's like such a good book. So yeah, there's well, a lot to dig into here. Maybe we'll bring you back for a second episode and we'll okay. dig, in, dig even deeper. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.